Welcome to the Divine Self Secret Garden Podcast. Joining us again, Thomas Murray, and I am your host, Megan Corcoran. excited to have back in the garden today the wonderful Thomas Murray, my best friend from New York City. He is here to talk about narcissist victims syndrome and kind of the symptoms that happen to af- happen after you're in a narcissist relationship. So welcome. All right. Welcome back, Tom Murray, to my secret garden. I'm so excited to have you back. Thanks for having me. The first one was a blast, so I'm looking forward to this one. I know I miss, um, well, at least it's the days of coronavirus where we can like virtually do things and we are like sitting here having our coffee, talking about this, recording it. Cause like we've always said, we should just record this because what we talk about is I think beneficial to people. We've, we've had that a lot of times though. Yeah, no, yeah, we've, yeah, we've, we've talked about this for, for quite a while. And I, I kind of miss those days where like we could just like show up to each other's doors or just show up on the roof together and just kind of just, you know, talk about this stuff and just geek out all day long over it. But I like text you, know. you from my bed and be like, coffee on the roof, 10 minutes. You're like, yeah, let's go. We like show up in our pajamas, the dog. And then, you know, or come over, have wine. Those ones, those conversations got very interesting. Oh my God. Like a hundred percent of the time too. Like a hundred percent of the time. And that's how, I, and like, you know, that's how we connected was that like, we, we skipped all of the, Hey, you know, where are you from? And this and that. We were just like, what do you think about narcissism? You know, yeah. <laughs> like, tell me about your soul, you know? <laughs> Pretty much. It was like, tell me about your life experience. And there was like tears and laughter and joy and anger and so much, um, so much. And and then, you know, and then we had our neighbor involved who brought a whole nother dynamic oh, yeah. that was so fun and lovely. And like the three of us together, it was company. like a right. We sh- yes, it was totally three's company. We, and we said many times we should have a reality TV show. Oh, it and was- it would have been. <laughs> it, it would have been yeah. such a hit. It would have been. Yeah. <laughs> Some of the craziest things happened, and it was always one of us always had drama going on. Always. 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 It was, or when all three of us had drama, it was like, wait, hold on, whose drama is the worst today? And we did like triage it. <laughs> it was. It was always work drama, relationship drama, drama in the building, family. Like it was always, always something between one of us, <laughs> between one of the three of us. I know. Uh, we're going to get into how you recovered from your narcissistic relationship, but I do want to tell this story and your girlfriend now is probably going to kill me, but I don't care. I'll take, I'll take the beating. Uh, but yes, when I, when I, I, I love the moment when I walked out of the elevator and you're like in the hallway having a full on battle with, and this is before she was your girlfriend now, right? That was, this was seemed- very early on before. Yeah. Very early on. So. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to pretend like I don't know him because I have a feeling that's not going to go well. And um, and then I was like watching out of my peephole and like had in my ear to the door because I was so excited to hear, like she was letting you have it, dude. And I deserved it. I deserved it. You did deserve it. You totally oh, yeah. did. I think I even told you that. I, and like after she got in the elevator, I was like, ooh, you deserve that one. <laughs> I, I tell you, one of the things, you know, is, is that for me, I, I'll admit when I'm wrong, for sure. You know, I'm, I, I don't have that narcissist kind of, you know, characteristic where I just can't admit it. I was, I was a complete jerk. I, I was. And, you know, I'm fortunate that she loves me still. Very fortunate. And, uh, but now she's stuck with me. So I win. <laughs> yeah. I just love that. It was like the perfect timing, like the elevator opened and it was like the worst moment that I could have come out of the elevator. It could have been anybody else, but then it was like me. And I, I could tell you're like, Oh man, <laughs> now I'm going to hear it. Now I'm going to hear it from Megan. And she's going to like, tell, like, and I pretty much, yeah. And I like listen the whole thing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll lay <laughs> the, I'll lay the context down. You know, the, you know, what we, so again, I preface this with, you know, we were not exclusive at that moment. So this was very, I had just gotten to New York. She had just gotten to New York and we were not in an exclusive relationship. So the topic of me talking to other women came up and, you know, that's, that's pretty much what we were arguing about. And as she was grilling me for, 
you know, talking to this other woman, hanging out with her, uh, you know, that out, out comes Megan. You just see like this blonde hair come out the elevator and it's like, it's like, oh gosh, not the right timing. <laughs> you know, and, like, and I'm like, I'm like, Oh, she's, she's my neighbor, my neighbor friend. <laughs> right. It's like, and it's, 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 um, yeah, it's almost like having roommates. Like we were, you might, we might as well have just lived together. Cause I was like, Swift yeah, we knew everything. And so I even think I texted Laura. I was like, Ooh, Laura stuff is going down on the sixth floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was not one of my, uh, not one of my prouder moments, but, uh, all right. I'll, we'll tell, we'll tell my embarrassing story too. Cause <laughs> I feel like I just told yours, but, um, and we won't use his name, but, yep. uh, I had a moment when I met a guy who went out on a date and he, it was a blizzard. And like the second date he ended up coming over and it was like, he, he stayed cause this blizzard came on and Tom came over and we were having a good time and we were playing cards against humanity, drinking wine. This guy drank like a, like it was like one of those like gallons of vodka. Like yeah. it was, yeah. and then a huge thing of white wine together. And I think peach schnapps. Yep. Yeah. And, <laughs> and like things escalated, like you were going upstairs to go get cookies from our neighbor because she bakes, she's, she's, like in school to be a nutritionist and she's a great chef and she baked all the time. And so you were going upstairs to get cookies from her. And this guy starts accusing me that I was going to go upstairs and, or go to your apartment and like sleep with you or something. (laughs) And oh my gosh. And then, so he comes upstairs with us and we're eating cookies and he like opens up, like he starts drinking her water, like out of her cup and like wasted. And he started crying on my couch that night. And like my dog's like laying on him, like licking his tears. And he's like, I don't even know. And I got to a point where I was like afraid of him. And like our neighbor, she's totally baller, dude. She like calls downstairs the doorman. She's like, don't let that guy back in. But he like left all his stuff in my apartment. So he would like have to come back. And like. (laughs) That was, that was, I, that guy, you know, that that was bizarre. That was bizarre. (laughs) It was fun though. It was fun for a while. Like we all had fun. It was blizzard day and like we were cooking and eating and playing cards against humanity. And then it just went to like crazy. And, I think you guys gave me so much crap for that for like a year, like for a year. Cause like everyone's like, Oh, Megan, I don't think you choose men wisely, but you still can get, you can give me a lot of crap now. Cause clearly I don't, don't. but you know, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was one of those where it just, I, I don't know what that was. We'll just, we'll just count that like as an outlier. <laughs> that was, I, <laughs> but he was fun. He was fun though. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know, but uh, hope, I hope, on your couch though. <laughs> I hope he's doing well. <laughs> I hope I, if if he's alive, I hope so. You know, I mean, yeah, no, there's definitely hardcore. that's 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 a hardcore alcohol problem. Like it was, it was hardcore, and mm-hmm. he was functioning. I, if I drink that much, you have to take me to the hospital. Oh, I'd be dead. I'd be, I'd yeah. be gone. Yeah, but all right, today's topic. I want to go into, and we've talked a lot about this, but the 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 victims rage the 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 person in the wake of the narcissist and when they start to get like devalued so much and they lose connection with themselves and i'm a believer that you know your 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 emotions are on a spectrum and you're you're always striving to be happy and the happier you are the more connected you are with like your own intuition and your true self and your own inner divine if we um and i believe anger is key, right, to waking you up because it kind of scares you. It kind of actually rattles you, um, especially if you scream or do anything or it ha- has you have a shift because depressed and sad feels bad, but then anger actually gives you a release. And I, and I think it's so – people look at it and they're like, oh, you're angry. But I'm like, but it, that's the catalyst to make the change in life. And I've really had to really look at this because, man, have I been angry, right? And, and it was – I was – angry in my relationship. And then I get out and I realize the dynamic in my life and in my family. And there was massive anger. I think I even told you one point when I talked to my mom and we can, we'll go into detail about that, but, and I'm like, I bet you fire shut out of your ears. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. I, oh yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. That's, you know, I also had a moment exactly like that. And I think I was talking to my mom. I was on the drive home and you know she we we had to we had to hang up for a few minutes for whatever reason. I tried calling back and she didn't answer. And then when she called back, I mean the anger in me just swelled up and I I was screaming so loud 
I think they thought that I was going to drive the car off the road. You know, it's, it's look, what are, what's the phrase, you know, pressure, pressure bus pipes, right? Yes. It, it is, it is, that is, that is just what happens. Just understand, just understand it. That's what happens. Uh, and, and the thing is they don't realize you're in the pressure cooker. Yes. Right. And any little external thing that happens that you feel is abusive or when you are actually reaching out for help at that point, right? And they're unwilling to listen or just, hey, hold on a minute, I have to take another call. You're like, no, you don't understand. I am going to die. Yep. You need to pay attention like right now. And it is like, yeah, you, you literally, it's like um, Dr. David Hawkins uh, he does a lot of narcissism videos. He's like, it's like a can of Coke and you shake it up and you shake it up and you shake it up. And, you, and then he's like, and then what happens when you, when you actually poke it, it yep. like, boom, it just explodes. That's what happens. And you can't, no one realizes that you can't handle any poking from anywhere else because you're poked so badly yep. <laughs> behind closed doors that if, if anybody externally, whether it's work whether it's it's your family dynamic, your friendship, whatever, and that these moments are going to happen because you're not allowed to have these reactions in the home because if you do, it's life-threatening. But you're in the pressure cooker. you got to have the explosion to de-escalate, and then you go back into the pressure cooker. And so I found that this became a cycle, and I realized that even getting out of my relationship, I was still in the pressure cooker with my family. Mm. And because it's there's two narcissist abuse cycles that I've had to break. I had to break mine with my ex-husband and then I had to break mine with my family. And in the family, I'm still in the pressure cooker. And the more that I go and I do therapy and the more meditation I do, the more I dig up stuff and the pressure cooker begins to boil and I get so angry. And so if I have any conversation with them, I almost can't control it. it I am so, I like, I'm boiling inside. And I realized that I was like, I either need to find a way to go to therapy with them and have a mediator, a tough mediator who can handle it because I want to annihilate, or I need to go in the boxing ring and just literally box it out with them because I just, I'm angry and I'm angry at the betrayal that happened when I needed them the most. But again, it was, this anger is the catalyst for change. And I've had to really look at it. And it's something that I'm like, well, I'm not proud of, but everyone's like, well, you should kind of be proud because it's what's, it's what's pulling back the layers, Megan, you've been hanging on to this for so long. Now there's healthy anger. I'm like, but is there really healthy anger? <laughs> no, but that, that's, 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 a, that's a good question. Uh, and I, I <laughs> so short, long story short, I don't know the answer to that question. Is there a healthy anger? I, I do know that it is, it is a it is a human emotion that I don't think any of us can really escape. All you, I think, the best you can do is to do something with it, <laughs> to use it as a catalyst, to harness it and harness it, and to use it as as something else. Now, your situation, I don't, you know, I had a narcissist ex wife, but I also had certain family members who were had my back. So, without having family there. I don't know how in the world you're able to navigate that. That's that's something that is just beyond my uh, comprehension. Uh, but I do think that our emotions, we have them for a reason. And I think it's just a matter of how we use them. I was taught for a while, for a brief period of time that, you know, when you're, when you are angry, you're wrong. And I don't, I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think, when you're angry, you're not necessarily wrong, but there is a, a right or wrong way to use that anger. It's it's just one of those things. How do you react to something? You're going to be angry. If you're in this human body, having this ex human experience, you're going to be angry. You're going to be sad, hungry. You're going to have all of those things. What you do with it, I think that's the key. Yeah. You know, I was, I, I've been listening to a lot of different podcasts or YouTube just on anger because I'm trying to understand it and kind of figure out how do you how do you have healthy anger like anger is an emotion that kind of is needed again to make change and kind of release right um, but I was like well if you have healthy anger like that's not for me that's not sitting in therapy being like I'm so angry at you that doesn't do 
like actually the actual act of getting angry. And if you scream, not that it's, I don't know, because actually the act of screaming and the, 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 the energy with the breathing and the release. And so it's like, how do you, I've learned that I scream for 30 seconds a day in my car at whatever I'm at at. Cause like, I you can't do that in my, I can't do that in my apartment. People will call the cops, but in my car, it's like singing. Right. So I just turn the radio up and I'm like, ah, like, but I found that, that really helps. Um, I'm like, I got to get this out. I got to actually have the act of, 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 of being angry. Absolutely. Um, you know, and I remember like my therapist, like get a tennis racket and hit a pillow. I'm like, but I need to scream and yell and hit the pillow. And like, like I said, my neighbors are going to call the cops. Like that's how angry I get. Um, yeah. But Abraham and Esther Hicks say that, you know, people try to suppress your anger because they would rather, they try to put it, put you back down in sad and depressed mode because they would rather deal with you in sad and depressed mode because you're kind of nothing then because anger, they actually have to deal with it and like help you deal with it. And so she's like, so when you're angry uh, and it's also projection, right? I'm projecting. I know sure. this. I'm self-aware. Sure. I'm projecting my own stuff and that I'm an adult woman and I have to, even though I have a broken little inner child in there, it's now my responsibility to go and take care of her. My mom is, is an older woman now and it's not her responsibility to go and take care of my little inner child who is really angry, mm. you know, mm. uh, even though she didn't take care of her when she should have. Yep. And I think my expectation is still that my mom will come in and take care of that little inner child and um, it will never happen. <laughs> yeah. But it makes me angry, you know? <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I, I definitely wrestle with that exact same thing, you know, that, that, that little inner child that is angry, that did not get enough love from, you know, mommy and daddy, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's, it's unresolved. It, it's unresolved. And, you know, I'm, I'm not at a point yet where I, I know exactly what to do with it. You know, I know that it's there. I recognize that, um, you know, and, and actually as, as we're talking through this, I mean, you're helping even me see some things about that. And it's, yeah. It, it, what, what do you do with it? And I think, I think that's the, that's one of the, the biggest questions. You know, and I also think too, it's like, do you have shame after you get angry? I, I do every time, of mm. course, like I don't want to project my stuff onto people. And then I'm like, Oh, what was this really about? And then I have to go and do the work. And then I go down and I uncover more and then I'm angry again. And I feel like I'm like, you get stuck in the anger cycle, but then you have to kind of work through it because it's uncovering just pent up emotion. And for me, this is plucking, plucking those weeds out so you can build a new garden and build a new inner self and, and really build yourself back up. Um, cause so many people stay in depressed and so many people stay in sad and they never hit the anger phase yep. or people don't let them get angry. And then they, and they suppress it back down into depressed and sad because I don't think you can truly after going through something like narcissistic abuse or domestic violence that you have to go through the, the cycle. You have to go through the emotions. Yes. You can't hang on to it because you're just going to attract that back into your life. Yes. It, it's, you know, like we were talking about previously, there, there are just certain motions that you just, you just have to go through. And I think that angry cycle is one of them. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've heard Esther Hicks talk about this or, or someone else, but in terms of anger, let's say, since we're talking about that, is my question would be, is it necessary to judge that anger? Like, can you have anger and just understand that it's present? It's there. There's no need to judge it in terms of, oh gosh, I'm angry. I'm beating myself up being angry. No, you're, you're, you're a human being. You've been through some things. You've seen some things. It only makes sense that you would have these certain emotions if you are indeed human. Now, when you have those emotions, is it necessary to judge that as, oh crap, I'm angry now, I'm bad, I'm a bad person? You know, I, that, that would be my question. Yeah, you know, I, as you were saying that, I was thinking like, I've built my relationship with my dad back up. And, and when I first spoke to him after a year and a half of not talking to him, he was really angry at me. Again, they didn't have the oh, wow. full story. They had about 10% of what happened actually in my relationship. And I didn't talk to them for months before I was actually left my relationship. So, and I'm like, wow, all they heard was what he was telling them. But, you know, my dad realized that he comes from a, a domestic violence situation. And he called me back the next day and said, you know, you're, 
you're right. And you said a couple things and you're right. My mom didn't get the opportunity to stand up as a woman. And, and, you know, people used to really like my dad outside of the home, but behind, and then I used to think when they would tell me, Oh my God, your dad's so great. Mm -hmm. He said, I would think to myself, are you kidding me? This man beats us every single night, almost to death. And no one knew. And at that time you couldn't do anything about it. And he's like, so I realized Megan, that maybe you were in a dynamic like I was. And I was like, yeah, no kidding. Um, and then he let me for months be angry at him because they they betrayed me. When I needed them the most to come in and help me and to help me get out of this and to go through a divorce and to go through a criminal process and to move my stuff and to, to kind of break down a wedding that I had just had and my financial situation. I mean, I was completely alone. And I was angry. And never once did he shame my anger after that. He took the beating. Wow. He didn't really engage with it. He just allowed me to get angry and kept saying, I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you. He said, there's nothing I can do to make it better except for listen. And he let me just be angry. And then now what? We're over it right? Where my mom completely engages in it. And she shames me and she hangs up like a little inner child. And then our little inner children go to war. And it is, it's a full on war. And I thought, okay, and then it's all my fault, right? And then she runs and tells the family and she's a little narcissist now and acts like a narcissist and goes and tells the family, oh, Megan just got angry. And then here they go. They spin and it all starts over again. I'm like, wow, this, and no one realizes that's, a, that's so unhealthy. You don't go and shame someone for their anger. You know, what, what you're talking about is, so the, I told you there was a, a guy who really saved my life at a certain point, you know, when I was going through my divorce, he, he's, you know, this, this big time author coach, he would call it what you're describing. He would call that real love, you know, air quotes, real love, AKA unconditional love. And I think we've kind of come full circle in that, in that regard and kind of answered our own, our own question. When you've got someone who's angry like that, it, it's that anger, that anger is there. It's, it's hard to suppress. It's hard to pretend like it doesn't exist, but if you can have a relationship with someone who allows you to just be angry and to just express it. And then for your dad, for example, to not judge it, to let that play out, that's, that's next and take responsibility in the yes. role that he played. Yes. Yes. Right. Because the reality is I've realized that my anger also is my defense. I have to have anger for survival. I was almost killed. I don't think anybody looks at that. And my, my, my attorneys, you know, and are, are very good at being like, I would be angry too. You have to be angry. You had to survive and you were alone. The only way you are going to survive it is if you went so far on the other side of the spectrum that when anybody tried to come in and hurt you, you had to get angry to protect yourself so you wouldn't die. And she's like, I don't think anybody looks at it. And she's like, so you're trying to come down and find a healthy balance now, but you don't know who to trust. Everybody that, that, that supposedly air quotes, love you, loves you unconditionally, um, has betrayed you. So yeah. And, and you're going to be angry with them until you can trust them again. And, and she's like, and, and they have to be able to hear your side of the story because everybody else has had this whole version of what they think has happened when they have no idea what has happened. Yeah, that's, you know, that, that's a good point. And you said it, when I was, when I was 16 years old, I was robbed at gunpoint. And, you know, you what, were, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, it was, it was bizarre. Growing up in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, they, you know, be, be more for short and then people say, be more careful. So it's, yeah. uh, it, you know, growing up there, but yeah, it happens. And it, it, it happened to me when I was 16 and you know, it, it, it I can still remember seeing the gun. I remember every word that guy said, and it's just, it's one of those things where from then on, you you kind of you you deal with that you know for for years i mean for years and years after that event happened whenever i would walk anywhere in public i was just i was high alert anyone who even looked at me you know kind of sideways i was you know ready to defend myself if necessary so um it's it's it just it comes with the territory yeah 
it, it, it's, it does. And so I've had a lot, I've had to do a lot of work on, on, on anger, but I, it goes into recovering from narcissistic abuse. And it's so interesting as I talk to people about this, I've heard so many stories of people having this rage, like in their relationship, right. And that, that you're in the pressure cooker. And I remember, I don't remember who told me this story, but they were telling me that their friend was in a really mentally and emotionally abusive relationship with a narcissist. Mm. And this woman was an attorney, pretty high powered attorney, right? So here she is. She's great career, superwoman outside of, outside of the home and being tortured to death in the home. And she was at dinner with her husband and he was going at her, going at her. And she said that she grabbed the steak knife and held it under the table, like in her hand, ready to stab him. In. And she thought, okay, if I just stab him in the neck and I don't kill him, I'll get seven years in prison. I could do seven years in prison. I could do seven years in prison. And she said that she had, she literally stood up and was like, I have to go to the bathroom. She went in the bathroom and like looked at the knife and like was like shaking. And she's like, I have to go. I have to leave. If, if I don't leave, I, if I don't leave him, I'm going, if someone's, someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to end up in jail. And she, but she was the abused, she was the abused one. Right. Yeah. And, and she ended up walking out the back door, getting in an Uber and going to a hotel and filed for divorce and never saw him again. Because wow. she knew that if she saw him again, there was a chance that she would kill him. And I, I, I push me like, <laughs> I mean, push my button, push my button, push my button, push my button, push my button. And then my sister would do this. And it was like, wow. I was just boiling. And I thought, okay, it made me feel so much better. And then I heard all of these stories um, of this. And then I looked at, I watched the documentary on, on Lorena Bobbitt. Mm-hmm. And at first they do him, right? And they make him out to be the victim, just like just like everybody, right? So yeah. of course these narcissists are the victims. And then you actually watch her story. I'm like, wow, she was being raped and beaten and sexually assaulted and tortured. And she finally broke and get it, girl. She like, <laughs> like she did the ultimate thing that I think could be the worst thing that anybody could do, right? And we all know yeah. how that ended. Yeah. But she was found not guilty in court and like they, she, she was found insane. And I think was sentenced to 40 days and, in, in a, and, but, um, you're right. They make you crazy and they push your buttons to the point where you don't see a way out unless it get, it turns to that. What do you think about that? Yeah. What's, what's funny as they push those buttons, they're, they're getting high as they do it. It's almost like that's their version of, you know, pushing your buttons is like their version of being hydrated with water. <laughs> you know, it's it's almost what they need to survive. And I say that because my dad, you know, God rest his soul, <laughs> but he was the same way. It just, you know, there's there's no judgment here. I'm not crying about it. It's just it's just who he was. He was very narcissist, knew how to push buttons. And he did. And, and that's just. They, they love it. It's like oh. they get, they get, it's their ultimate narcissist supply, right? Can't like they, they can't get enough. And then it continues. And then the next time has to be even more intense yep. because they have to have a bigger high. It's a drug, it's a drug problem. They have to get more and more and more and more and more and more to keep, to stay alive. They will literally die if they don't get their narcissistic supply. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's what they need to. And here's the thing. It's when you're with a narcissist, you know, you're, you, you start to learn things too, right? It's, you learn how, okay, this made him angry or this made her angry. So I won't do that. And, and then, you know, the narcissist, they find something else to kind of, it, to push your buttons and they just keep elevating and elevating and elevating until it, until it reaches some type of a boiling point. So the whole, while this progression is taking place, they are finding new ways to push your buttons because those buttons won't work always. Right, the, 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 you'll learn at some point to just not care about what that narcissist said to you or did to you. They're just going to learn how to push different buttons. And look, that's what they do. They're going, they're going to find it. They, they, they're going to find it. If you stay with them, it, it, you, you can't, I, I don't, I don't wanna say can't, but it's really hard to beat that. <laughs> so Yeah, and it's almost that I think like you're in the pressure cooker, right? And then I think you think you can fight fire with fire mm-hmm. and you can't, you can only fight fire with water. And the only way to fight fire with water is to get out. <laughs> that's, that's it. Go completely no contact and get out because that's the only way you're going to defuse a situation. That's it, 
exactly. You know, I, I was um, so I was I was hanging out at my uh, my my girlfriend's uh, parents' cabin, and you know, they have a lot of mosquitoes out there. And there was a mosquito on me, and I the the first thing I thought was, you know, wow, I, you can't feel them land on you. You you only really feel it until pretty much after they've bitten you, right? And that's kind of how a narcissist is. Don't don't like they're like mosquitoes. When they land on you, you're not going to notice it, okay? Like just, but you, but once they, once they bite you, that's when you notice it. So don't think that you can just kind of stay there and just all of a sudden, okay, well, I'm going to see it coming next time. I'm going to see it coming. No, you're not. That's if we could, if we could feel mosquitoes land on us, there would be no mosquitoes, <laughs> you know. And I, I'm generalizing highly, but mosquitoes would have a damn hard time surviving if we could feel them actually on our skin before they bite. It's really hard to. It's really, really yes. hard. It's not gonna yes. Happen. That's it's a good happen. analogy. I like that. It's like it's 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 you're a hundred percent right. And they do damage and then and then you get mad at the mosquito and you yeah. swat it. Right. And then you get and then you get mad. <laughs> yeah. So yep. And and it's that's exactly that's a perfect, you know, perfect analogy. Um, so how long do you think it took you to recover? from leaving your relationship because this is one of the biggest things is like people leave and they jump right into the next relationship, which you're going to jump right into another narcissist relationship. If you don't give yourself time to recover, it's just how it's going to go. Yep. You're feeding your addiction. So many people jump on to the, the online dating and they're like swiping left swiping. I'm like, you're going from one addiction to the next. You're going from being high from the narcissist to trying to find somebody to idealize you again. That is, that is the cookie cutter natural progression of how that works. When I got out of my marriage, I did the exact same thing. I mean, I, I mean, whew, like jumped into a relationship almost immediately. And again, chasing that high. And I don't, maybe this person, well, yeah, this person probably was a narcissist more than likely, <laughs> um, you know, but it, it, it wasn't as bad as my marriage, let's say, but that is the natural progression. If you, if you don't take the time to work on it, to work on why you are attracted to the people that you are attracted to. That's, that's just something you're going to have to face at some point. You know, you just, you just have to. Yeah. Because it's like, it's like the mosquito, like, right. So the longer it stays, the the more of a bite you get and you get a bigger bump. Right. So, and I'm guilty of this, right. So this is a pattern in my life. I dated a lot yep. and every time it, you know, I looked and I, I didn't see the red flags or every time I had trauma in my life or something happened to me, I didn't, I dealt with it. I went to therapy, but I didn't get to the root cause. And so the universe gave me what I, what I needed to get. And, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because I wasn't dealing with it. Right. I was going for, I was chasing one, one, you know, idealization, after the next and then after the next and keep, and kept going. And I never once was like, why, why can't I find the best man and get married and have kids like everybody else? Well, because you're not, you're not in the right vibration to even do that. You're in the narcissist, you're in a, and you got to go and deal with your crap or you really do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny because it's, you know, we're talking a lot about narcissists, right? Like about how, you know, they, they feed off of us and this and that, but you got to think at some point, we're putting ourselves in that situation too, <laughs> you know? So there's, it's, it's not just the narcissist. Like I'm, I'm letting that happen. You know, there's, we have some power too, as you know, survivors of this. Uh, and that's, that's where the work comes in. You have to really, you know, I listened to a guy named Les Brown, right? Motivational speaker, love what he says. And I think one of the things he says is, in order to do something you've never done, you have to become someone you've never been. And Ooh, yes. that's, and when you're, you know, so when you're trying to find someone new in life, you're gonna have to change, you're gonna have to change your behaviors, change something, you know? And then eventually I think your vibration will change and you will attract someone, you know, different. Now for me, it took years. Okay, I mean, I think I got divorced in, I, I don't know, 2011 or something like that. And I don't think I've changed until maybe just a few years ago. Until Yeah, we were we were talking about this before we were recording. And I was like, even when I met you, it had been a couple years, but you were like, oh, I'm never gonna be in a relationship and getting married. And you were <laughs> kind of bitter. Um <laughs> and uh I just was like, Yeah, you'll figure it out. And I think we this is a lot of our wine talk at night. I'm like, Yeah, you'll figure it out and you're gonna be okay. And 
you know, and, and I think I, I said that I was like, you got to get to a place where you're, you're uncomfortable with having certainty. I didn't, I didn't quite say it like that, but I think I said something like along the lines where, you know, it's not as exciting when you're in a healthy relationship and exciting. It can be exciting. You have to learn a new way or a new, new definition of exciting. Exactly. And I, I, you know, I know we were, you know, before we came on here, we were talking about, you know, the, you know, the, the victim anger and and recovery and things like that. But I, I, I think one of the things is being able to recognize, like you said, being able to recognize a healthy situation. And a lot of times the healthy situations, it's it's not the high that you think you should have. And I think a lot of that comes from programming and conditioning. You know, we we grow up looking at all these love stories and fairy tales and things like that. And I you know I believe in all that, but I, a healthy relationship isn't always, you know, the that high that you're looking for. And honestly, that high that you get from that initial meeting someone, you, 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 oh, we're 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 going to on this date, this dinner, all that's good. But sometimes that's not really the high that you're looking for, and you have to be able to recognize, like you said, certainty when it when it presents itself. Yeah. And, and, and be like, okay, I'm excited to go meet this person and that it's a good date, but it's not like, oh my gosh, checking your phone every 10 minutes. Yes. Waiting. That's actually really unhealthy. Like <laughs> it, it, I realized that it's really unhealthy. And like, and then the analyzing of the text messages, oh my God, you know how many people call me for coaching and they want to analyze. I will not do it by the way. Like it is, but they were like, oh, and then she said, and then he said, and he, I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop the fact that you, again, right. red, red flag. Uh, but, and then just be like, okay. And then give them a second date. You had a good time, but it's not taken away from your life, right? But it's like, okay, it was a nice date. We had good conversation. We have a lot in common. And and then allow yourself to gradually connect that way and create that certainty. And I and I I say this like I figured this out or something. Like I I I, <laughs> I haven't dated in over a year, but like I'm I'm saying this because this is what I've I've learned in, in therapy and I think is is the key, but that's kind of what I saw happen in your relationship with your girlfriend now is mm -hmm. that you guys gradually came together. Yes, yes. At much slower than she would have liked, <laughs> but you know, again, but that was also one of the things that attracted me to her was that she just had the patience that I had never seen before. I had never seen anyone have that kind of, you know, patience with me and just that level of understanding. And eventually I just became really attracted to that. And I was like, whoa, this person is legit. Um, but you know, I, I think one of the things after, after my divorce, just like we talked about, I was chasing, chasing that high and I got into one relationship and, you know, we had that high and then what, what happens to all highs? What happens? You're going to come down. And sometimes you come down and crash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, and then the relationship after that high and then come back down the relationship after that, you get a high and then you come back down. And then eventually I'm like, man, okay, maybe I should stop doing that. You know, there's nothing you can you can be excited, but not be high. Like, do you, you see what I'm saying? Yes. The high that we feel is, you have to learn how to recognize the difference between, you know, being high off of a new relationship and being just excited and happy. You know, being, being happy doesn't necessarily mean being high. And if you're not high, that doesn't mean that you're not happy, right? It, it, you, it's I, it's it, little little nuances. I find too that like when you have the high, the high consumes you. Mm. You're obsessed with you're obsessed mm. with them. They're going to text you when you're going to see them again. When you go to wear, you're going to get your hair done. You got your Botox touched up. You got your nails done. Like it becomes like you, you're focusing on the high at work. You're focusing on the high at night. You're not wanting to do things because you're waiting for the text message or the phone call. Where you stop living your life for the high, where the healthy relationship, your life continues and you're like, I'm just going to show up as me. Okay. Maybe I didn't go get my Botox touched up or my nails done. I'm such a California girl. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go on the date with my roots today. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and just be you and, and that you just allow this to gradually come together. And I know this is people that aren't in these dynamics. You're probably like, well, duh, this is how I fell in love with my 
wife or husband. For, but for the rest of us, yes, <laughs> this point. is the problem. And then we're looking for the perfect person. Yes. And I'm like, what is the perfect person? Like, what? What is that? Like, that doesn't exist. That de- you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. And and so why do we expect to find someone perfect? And then if you're not perfect, how do you think you're going to find a perfect person? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I think a lot of you know self help leads us to believe that we can get something for nothing. Um, I, I don't know if that's okay to say on here or not, but I just I just don't believe in getting something for nothing. No, so if, absolutely not. Yeah, I agree with you, hundred um, percent. You know, if you're if, if you you can't sit around and just hope for this perfect person when you you are not work, quote air quotes worthy of someone like that. You know, it's just it. I I think that's just in this human experience that we're having. That's just one of the laws of of the universe. It's pretty rare to get something for nothing. So if you're not doing the things that make you worthy of having you know, this awesome partner that you desire, what makes you think that you're going to attract that type of a person? I, you know, yeah, be, I'm willing to be wrong, but I just haven't seen evidence of that. There's a guy on YouTube that I love, RC Blakes. He's a pastor, but he also goes into, he explains the religious take on things in a very modern way. And so I'm like, okay. Um, but he talks about like, you know, a lot of women are standing there and they're waiting for the Rolls Royce to pull into the parking spot, but they let the Toyota p- pull in. And he's like, not that there's anything wrong with the Toyota, but if you're waiting for the Rolls Royce and then the Rolls Royce is going to drive by and think that you're occupied. And he's like, but also notice that you don't live your life as the queen that you should live your life as, and that you're willing to let the Toyota in. So the Rolls Royce doesn't want to pull into that parking spot. Yep. And you will get the Rolls Royce, right? But he's like, it's just that you you have to be willing to do the work, be confident enough, and then allow and then leave the space open. So if you're constantly dating online and trying to find your high, <laughs> you're never, you're never going to find the Rolls Royce. You're never going to find what you think is is perfect. And it's never going to happen. And so you're occupying yourself with just I call them clowns. Like it's, it's, it's like uh, they're clowns. Like it's just a bunch of people with makeup on their face that do magic tricks and then take you into the fun house. And then like I said, you get in the fun house and you're like exhausted after a month and it's all smoke and mirrors. And then once the clown makeup comes off, you're like, Oh, Oh, that's not good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's, that, that's totally true. I I just, I just go back to, you know, you're just, you're not going to get, something for nothing. You have to do the things that are going to make you worthy of, of, you know, receiving what it is you want. And I, I think, you know, the, 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 the trap of self-help and again, I was, and still am, you know, pretty heavy into all the books, every, all the, the, the audio books, the everything, everything that you could think of the YouTube videos and a lot, it's easy to misinterpret what people are saying and to fall into the trap of, Oh, I am worthy of this. I'm worthy of love. Of course you are. Of, of course you are. No one's debating that, but you also can't be a heathen. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You also have to do the things that make you worthy of that, in my mind. you know. Yeah, and if you got into a narcissist relationship or you come from a narcissist dynamic, you have to do the work. Yep. Or you're going to attract what you know. You're going to attract that uncertainty. And um, and you're going to repeat the pattern and you're going to attract the addiction. And then it's going to be an addiction for them. And it's going to go on and on and on. I mean, it's, it's so clear in my family dynamic and that mm-hmm. my mom ran around and chased my dad after. And it was this this abuse dynamic between the two of them. And uh, I realized was I was never taught how to have value as a woman, how to have boundaries, how to how to actually show up for myself and to value myself. And um, and now, you know, now I expect her to show me how to do all of that as a woman, but <laughs> that's never going to happen. Um, but yeah. And then I, and then I met my dad 2.0, well, of course, because I'm playing out the dynamic of, of my, of my family. And I'm, and I'm, I was taught that love was to go and chase him. Right. And to go and play this, this and, and chase, not chase, like, I mean, chase, like in the abuse dynamic, you know, they chase, they chase the power and control and you chase the idealization and it's this vicious, vicious cycle. And you'll continue to chase it until you realize that you're chasing it. Yeah, it, it, exactly. And, you know, I, I was taught the exact same thing. 
relationships are hard. You know, if you're, if you're, you know, I, I, we look, my parents weren't happy. If, if anyone heard the previous, you know, the previous podcast, they just clearly weren't happy. And, but as a kid, when you see that, that's what you're taught. I have no concept, you know, of, of what, like a happy marriage really looks like. I, I, it is, it is like reading a book in another language to me. It makes no sense to me. I don't get it. And then I have friends whose parents have been married for 40 years and they're happy and they can't imagine anything other than being happy in a relationship. You know, when I, they, they cannot relate to anything that I'm saying. And I, I think oh, I'm losing my train of thought, but there was something you said. Oh yeah. You said something about, uh, you know, there's a, a group of people out here who are listening to this and you know, they, they are like, well, of course, of course you should be happy in a relationship. Of course you shouldn't put up with that with a narcissist, of course. But there are also a lot of people who are listening to this going, whoa, really? That's what's going on? You know? Yes. It, yes. It, so it's as it's baffling on both sides. You know, there are people who can't imagine a happy relationship and there are people who can't even imagine an unhappy relationship. You know, right after everything started falling apart with my ex and my family, um, the one, I I remember my ex saying to me, he's like, well, Megan, <laughs> it's not like you have any examples of healthy relationships in your life. I mean, look at who's given you advice your whole life, your dad and your mom. And he's like, and quite frankly, they give you terrible advice. And he, and he even said to me, that's why I run to them and talk to them about stuff because, um, you know, they agree with me that you're crazy or whatever. But I, I, I thought about it and I was like, okay, who do I know that has a healthy relationship in my mind? And I'm like, okay, my uncle. We don't see eye to eye on things and we definitely, and I realized my uncle has very strict boundaries and holds his values very close to his heart. And and anybody that threatens his values and his family values, he doesn't necessarily let you in. And I'm like, well, he hasn't let us in because my family's running amok like crazy people with no boundaries. And he's like, oh, he has to protect those boundaries. And I thought, wow, what a healthy, what a healthy way to live. So I remember calling him up and I'm like, hey, can we have lunch? And I was, I sat down and I just cried. And I was like, this happened with my family. This happened in my relationship. And this is after things had gotten physical in my, after I came back from New York, after things had gotten physical. And he said to me, he's like, you know, we can sit and analyze all day long the domestic violence or whatever, but he's like, are you happy? And he's like, and I said, no. And he said, okay, the one thing I know is that I've always been happy in my relationship and that my wife has always been happy. So that's it. It's that simple. You don't have to stay if you're not happy. It doesn't matter if he's happy. It doesn't matter what your family thinks. It doesn't matter anything. And it's not anybody's right to tell you one thing or tell you that you're crazy or beat you or do whatever if you're not happy. Bum, I don't care if you just got married four months ago, if you're not happy. And it was like, ding, like the light went off. He's like, you don't have to stay. Do you want to, why would you want to live an unhappy life? And I'm like, here's my religious uncle telling me that it's okay for me to file for divorce and to get divorced from somebody if I'm not happy. It wasn't even about the abuse. He's just wow. like, if you're not happy, this is your life. And I'm like, this is the advice I needed years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then he also said, he also said, you know, and, and for what it's worth, I was at your wedding. And for anybody that hasn't spent a lot of time with you would tell you that um, there was definitely some major situation going on between you and your husband. And, and, you know, there's all these people that told me that he's this great guy and everything, but he never once smiled at you the whole entire time. He smiled at everybody else and loved being around everybody else. He's like, but he almost looked at you as if he hated you. And he said, and I remember getting goosebumps and and saying in the car on the way home that he was like, wow, did anybody else notice that? I think Megan's husband hates her. He's like, you look like a goddess and you were so happy and glowing. He's like, but, but there was something off. And I, and and he's like, and it's almost to the point where he did that. He, he was so comfortable with our dynamic and our abuse dynamic that he didn't realize that he abuses me in public and did it at our own wedding. And that there's so many people that have been in this abuse dynamic with us that they were unwilling to see it too. But if you look at every single picture from our wedding and during the ceremony, not once does he smile at me. Yeah, we, we, we noticed the same thing. And we were just, I think, I think in our hearts, we knew what was going on. But, you know, we wanted to believe that it was just, who knows, but we, we noticed the same thing. We were like, uh, is there any reason he's not smiling? 
um, you know. It, it wasn't like your typical like bride and groom on their wedding day. On this gorgeous wedding day, like in Aspen, Colorado, like best at the state <laughs> regis. Like, at the it state was, regis. Yeah. It was an epic wedding. It, that, I will give you that. Yes. <laughs> I'm not gonna I, lie, we had a great time. <laughs> if my day time. job doesn't work, I definitely am gonna go into the wedding planning business, <laughs> which would be a tor would be torture. It's it was so hard, but I think it was a way for me to focus on something outside of my relationship. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to make sure, like I'm a Broadway performer. It had to be a Broadway. It had to be as exciting as a Broadway perform performance from the moment that you got to the hotel to the moment that you left. And I wanted like surprises every minute of every. And I think I achieved that. Yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> a couple times over. But uh, yeah, I, um, you know, anyways, we're getting off topic, but yeah. So I just, he gave me such good advice and then, and then helped me see because I noticed it too. And, and I go, and then I look back at my wedding and I'm like, gosh, I was so unhappy, so unhappy. And he was, he was unhappy too. Like sure. it wasn't, it wasn't real. It was a facade and we put on such a good facade Yep. The oh gosh, you guys are you guys were gorgeous. I mean, it was, I mean, oh absolutely, it, total total facade. And I, I think one of the things, you know, that we we kind of get in terms of these relationships, we get all kind of you know wrapped around the axle about, is that we we just ignore what our what our eyes are telling us. Like we we just ignore it, and no one wants to believe that oh this marriage couldn't work out. No, it's not. <laughs> it's it's not. I'm not saying go willy nilly and just file for divorce at the first argument. I'm not saying that, but you have to be able to understand what your eyes and your ears and your heart are telling you. It's not, you know, we, we, we always like to pretend that things aren't happening that really are happening. We love to pretend that things are okay. And sometimes they're just not. <laughs> yeah. It's called cognitive dissonance. Uh -huh. It's having two conflicting thoughts and beliefs at the very same time. And that people, choose to live in the lie and the facade because it's not it's less it's not painful at all versus the reality and the truth and the reality and the truth is very painful so they choose i mean i, I think this is kind of just denial but it's called mm -hmm. but you know the truth and the reality and and you struggle a lot of people with addiction have cognitive dissonance they know they shouldn't do the drug because it's killing them but they would rather do the drug because it T stopping doing the drug is really painful and hard to do. And so, yes, it's, it's, it's such cognitive dissonance in these relationships. And when you wake up to the reality of what's happening, you're right. It's, it's, it's not working and yeah. it's not healthy to give people advice to say, Oh, relationships are hard. No, 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 no. <laughs> First of all, relationships are not hard. That, that, that's yeah. That's, that's the other thing. It's like, if you're who <laughs> relationships are hard, why would anyone, do, why would anyone well, do that to themselves? my narcissistic sister tells me that relationships are hard. Well, of course her relationship's hard because I know what's happening behind closed doors at her yeah. home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, but it's, or my, my parents' relationship was hard. Well, again, here's a, an abuse, abusive relationship. What relationship, like where my uncle was like, you know, yeah, my wife and I have, and he gave me examples. He said, you know, my wife and I have differences. We have oh, difference of, of opinions. He's like, we even have difference of opinions on a lot of things. And we agree to disagree. There's certain topics that we just don't talk about and that we go and talk to our friends about that topic, not about each other. But he's like, you know, there's just some things that we agree, but he's like, we work out our conflict in a healthy manner. We sit down and we don't, um, we don't get up from the table until the conflict is resolved. Exactly. And he said, and we do that in our family dynamic. And, you know, and he said, and, and one of the biggest signs of unhealthy dynamic is the fact that he said, you know, once someone gets married, that's a sacred relationship. And he's like, you know, if my son came running to me to talk bad about his wife, that's a huge red flag. Now mm -hmm. he can come to me and say, you know, dad, we had conflict or had a little argument. How do I handle this? Sure. You know, because that's, he needs a father's advice versus talking bad about his wife and trying to get me to pit him against his and he said, and if, if they ever came to me about that, I'd be like, you know, it's probably time to get a therapist. It's not something I should be involved in. Again, exactly. healthy boundaries, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, that's a huge deal. And it goes back to what we were saying before. If you're, if you're even in that situation where you're, you find yourself having to run just like, look, in all of, in almost all of my past relationships, 
I've had a situation in which I've had to, I was going to explode. So I had to go to someone, whoever, like a friend or a family member and say, oh my gosh, this, this is terrible. I hate this. What am I doing wrong? This is happening. And, uh, you know, crying, um, you know, that in and of itself is a red flag. And as human beings, we love to think that we can fix things. For some reason, we think that we can just, oh, well, if I just do this, it'll work out. We'll, we'll, we'll do anything to avoid discomfort. We will do anything to avoid the, uh, the, the pain of discomfort because change oftentimes involves discomfort and we will do anything to avoid it. So it's, it's, I don't know, you just have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable if you want different results. And there's another guy that I listened to. He was not so much anymore, but he was on the secret, uh, uh, Bob Proctor, <laughs> he says, in order to change your life, you have to change your life, right? It sounds really simple, but we want all these changes, but we don't want to change. We want our spouse to stop doing X, Y, and Z, or, or we want a different situation, but we refuse to change anything but that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, it's, and you're right. There's no, I love Bob Proctor and, and <laughs> the secret and, um, but you're right. Like you almost have to fake it until you make it. Like you have, yeah. you have to show up as what you want to be and you've got to change the way you've been doing things, you know, cause you're not going to, it's just not going to change. Yep. Exactly. And I think anyone who's listening to this and is looking for any type of change or any, or anything different in their life, just, just start by listening to yourself and trusting yourself. Trust that what you are telling yourself is true to a certain degree, to some degree, you know, you, you're feeling the way you feel for a reason. You're listening to this for some reason. Might as well just go with it. Yeah. And I always tell people when I'm coaching them to write down their reality, right? Mm -hmm. So whenever the abuse cycle happens and something happens and you get into a fight or they, you're fighting over butter, which we talked about uh -huh. on our last episode, mm -hmm. or you're fighting over something really silly and you're like, what just happened? Um, write down the reality and what happened, what was said, and then read it over and over and start to live in the reality and then make, okay, how can I... How can I change this? Not change it like you're not going to go back in and try like to make that. them think about the butter. How can I change? So the next time there's a reaction, what is my reaction going to be back? And it's not, you know, and, and the reality is you'll, you'll start to see as you write down more and more and more that, that, oh my gosh, I have to get out of this and I have to make yeah. changes because I'm susceptible to, I'm susceptible to abuse. Yeah. You, you know, you know, quick story about that. So I was hanging out with my mom and my sister and, you know, we, 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 we're all kind of, you know, self-aware, or at least we would like to think we are. We think we are. We try. We try our best. So my, my twin sister sometimes has an issue with stubbornness. You know, we're both Taurus. So, you know, we, we, we can both be pretty stubborn. And she normally doesn't like to ask for help. Long story short, there was a situation in which we offered her help. She said no. And then, you know, I think I chimed in. I said, you know, hey, just, just take the help. And she, of course, refused. And then she came back and she said, Hey, you know, Tom, I think I, I, and my mom, I think you guys were were mad at me, you know, just because I didn't take your help. Why, you know, you shouldn't be mad at me for that. And in that moment, we could have said, "Hey, you know what? You're projecting your fears onto me. You're just projecting." And we could have made her feel, you know, just, you know, this big, you know, but what we said was, "You know what? You're right. If you are perceiving that and that's that's what you felt, then it's true." And I admitted to her and I said, you know what? I was a little angry that you didn't accept our help because blah, 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 back in our childhood, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but if we were narcissists or if we were just bad people, we could have flipped that around in her and said, hey, look, you're just projecting your fears on me, except, you know, so on and so forth. And that, that would have crushed her. And that's what people do. They don't trust themselves, you know, so just trust yourself. Yeah. I had a moment like this in, in New York. I don't know if you remember this, but when I had... So, you know, I got pregnant mm -hmm. almost immediately in my relationship and then miscarried. And, and that was one of the hardest moments of my life. Um, now I realize divine intervention mm -hmm. played a huge part and I don't have a child with um, this man. But um, my sister came to visit shortly after my relationship. That's when the rug got pulled out from underneath me and everything was kind of falling apart. And we had a moment where we were in a bar. My mom was there, my sister and mm. my ex. And mm. my sister showed a video of her husband 
pulling a sick, he works in children's hospital and as a nurse and pulling a sick child in a wagon. Well, here I am over here on the other side of things, which my sister knew having conversations about sick ch children. We just had a miscarriage like two weeks ago. It's a really hot topic in our relationship. Our relationship is falling apart because of a sick, sick child. It, 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 and she knew this, right? And so I think very innocently shows this video, but I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's the last thing we need to look at right now of, 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 and so I look at her and I'm standing behind my, you know, my ex and I'm, I'm kind of saying like telling her like, no, 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 don't, don't show that. Oh my gosh. She like flips out. She's like, that's my husband. And like screams oh, and she like gosh. starts, but I was like, wow, I hit, I hit injury. Right. Right. I yeah. hit. Yeah. But it all I was doing was trying to just avoid something escalating for me. And I want to see him pull, but it just wasn't the right time. Exactly. And then, and then, so then, yeah, I, I chased down the street and she like slaps me. But I remember the next day she's like, you are just so sensitive. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I am. And I just lost a baby. Like, yeah. of course I'm sensitive. And like my relationship is on like the rocks right now because of this miscarriage. We just lost a baby. And the, there's a whole thing about sick children. And like, I and it had nothing to do, had nothing to do with you. And she's like, but exactly. that's my, my husband. And she's like screaming him at me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But it could have just de-escalated. And I'm like, I, 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 and I told her, I was like, I get that you were doing it very innocently. I was just telling you that it just wasn't the right time to show us this video. Maybe show us this video, I don't know, a couple months from now after we've recovered from having a miscarriage. It, it just was a hot topic. And, but yeah, I, I, I <laughs> it's just amazing. Like things, things can get, but talk about rage, right? There's two yeah. inner children that have their own insecurities right there mm -hmm. and not, and they're not willing to hear each other. You know what you said it, and that's and it's and that's that's the story. That's the story. Yeah, and they're un and then of course the punishment happened. She didn't talk to me for months, and then I had to, I had to apologize to her for hurting <laughs> her feelings about her husband. It had nothing to and I, and I kept trying to explain it to her. There was no explaining. It had to be my apology, my way. I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. I'm sorry I I don't know what I, I don't know what about her. It has nothing to do with her husband. I think her husband's fantastic, yeah. but but I thought like unwilling to like, but it could have just de-escalated. She could have just walked out of there and been like, you know what? She just went through a miscarriage. There's something clearly going on in the relationship. I'm just going to put the phone away and let's all have a good night. That's it. No, and, and, but it, it, that's how quickly things conflict happens in people's lives. Yeah. It's, you, you know, that's, and sometimes it's, it's not more complicated than that. You know, there's no, there's not much of a deeper story to that. That's just, it, it's just the way. Just the it's way two people that. projecting their own insecurities onto each other, right. which is what a narcissist and codependence dynamic is. Yeah, is every, they're both insecure. They just one comes from a fear-based energy, and one comes from a love-based energy. And you, you know, one is trying to get love and validation through love, and the other is trying to get love and validation through fear and, and putting fear. And and so yeah, and the two just they kind of love each other. Yeah, it's 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 an incredible dynamic, and I just I think just recognition is just is just everything recognizing what situation you're in and recognizing how to handle it. Um, you know, that's, that's the best you can do with yourself. I think. I agree. I think we're going to have to end this episode. Any final last words of wisdom for us? Oh goodness. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no real words of, of, uh, of final words of wisdom. Just anyone who's listening. Uh, you know, what I would say to you is that you're listening for a reason and try to, figure out what that reason is and try to honor that reason and trust yourself. I love that. I love having you on and I hope you come back and visit us again. Definitely. Definitely. I, I would gladly accept. And uh, again, this is a, this is a, a killer podcast and I appreciate everything you're doing for everyone out there. All righty. See ya. Tom, thank you so much. My next guest next week is Kevin from The Royal We on YouTube. Amazing narcissist coach. For those of you who want to come join me on YouTube, you can find me at The Divine Self or you can find me at my website at thedivine-self.com. Until next week, have a good evening.